0: Welcome everybody to episode twenty of We Effed Up. I'm Teresa. I'm Cody, and we're here to tell you about the times in history when we effed up, and there are so so many, way more than twenty, at least twenty-one. Right, Cody?
1: No, this is actually the final episode. Oh dang! We've only, as a species, we've only effed up twenty times in history,
0: <laughs> and they have one of them had to do with baseball. The rest of the time, we are one hundred percent correct all the time.
1: Oh, there's plenty more play more F's up in baseball that we probably won't talk about. Some of them we will, but don't worry. <laughs> There's more baseball to come, so don't don't you worry. But today, nothing to do with baseball.
0: Oh. Yeah. What, what does it have to do with? Romans. Oh, no.
1: Yes. Yes. Back back to the Romans. Back to the beloved Romans who have given us so... It, it, Roman history is a treasure trove of F-ups. Uh. Um, wow. So... Yeah.
0: Um, for our listeners, uh, here's some inside baseball. Uh, Cody loves Rome. He wishes he could be in Rome.
1: No, I don't. Well, not Rome back then. I do not want to go back to them. But like that's, your,
0: that's your favorite period in history. Why wouldn't you want to go back?
1: Uh, you know, things like diseases. <laughs> you know, not, exact, not always stable. Stable time period. So, you know, I, I like... I like my social services and, you know, being able to live. Okay. So you know.
0: Well, what's our episode about today? Uh,
1: today we're going to talk about a uh, military blunder committed by one of the later Roman emperors, Emperor Valens. So. So it's not
0: Valens. Because uh, no. I was thinking Richie Valens. I was no. like, oh, that's cool. Richie Valens is named after an emperor.
1: Emperor Richie Valens.
0: <laughs> no. Um.
1: No. Uh, so, a little bit of background. We're talking about, like, the later Roman period, so, like, mid fourth, mid to late 4th century. Okay. So, Rome's been around for centuries at this point. The empire's been around for about three centuries. No. Over three centuries, so. So, since the reign of Constantine the Great, uh, Constantine the First, in the 330s, uh, multiple Roman emperors at a given time had become the norm. Okay. Uh, so, and it, with each of them typically responsible for governing an area of the empire. Um,
0: oh, we, yeah, that's right. Like, the regional thing. I think we talked about this in another episode. Uh, yeah,
1: I think it was our episode on Maurice. Okay. Emperor Maurice. Yeah. It was a few centuries after the period we're talking about today, but. Okay. But, yeah, Um. so it had it, been, it was just too large for one person to really uh be able to manage.
0: Yeah, the empire was too great. Needed to have baby emperors underneath.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, also at the same time, like while conflicts against so-called barbarian tribes had occurred for centuries, uh, Rome typically came out on top, or at least with some sort of negotiated accord um, with those tribes that, are, that were outside the empire. Uh, They're only calling them barbarians, because that was just the... Uh, Romans regarded anybody who was not Roman barbarians, mm. so it, they regarded, uh, like, a... One of their antagonists for centuries was the Sassanid Empire over in Iran, mm-hmm. which was kind of on par with Rome for much of its history. Um, they regarded them as barbarians, hmm. even though they were kind of on par with them uh, for for many many years. Uh, so it, it is not indicative that of that they were lesser. I mean, yeah, they were smaller; they did not have as much power, but. Uh, there, there's this perception you see a lot in movies where you know you know Rome is the pinnacle of civilization and you see over the, like over the wall like over Hadrian's wall or over the Rhine river it's like these nasty gross uncivilized barbarians or bloodthirsty and animalistic. it's like it's not that at all. These are their own peoples with their own cultures hmm. um, their own way of living. Uh, so don't think of them as lesser people.
0: Yeah, it, I was just quickly reading about it, and it says that in ancient Rome, they used the term, the Greeks started it, basically they called barbarians anybody who didn't follow traditional Greek like culture and practices. So mm-hmm. you could be ethnically Greek, but still a barbarian. And then the Romes, Romans started using it and adapting it towards people like the the Celts and the Germanics and all that, and then when they when the Byzantine Greeks started using it towards the Turkish people, that's when it started being pejorative.
1: No, it, it's not a great term, and historiography has rightly so uh, kind of abandoned it. Well, abandoned yeah, you don't using want, that term because it's it's yeah. like using
0: the G slur instead of Romani. Yeah, like it's it's a term that unfairly lumped. Everybody together without acknowledging the separateness of them, like the separate culture and ethnicity and history and, you know, everything about them and just lump them into a giant category and said, those are bad. So I get it.
1: Um, Emperors at this time, they also, in order to really rule effectively, they needed the backing of the army. Um, Late the late Roman period. I mean, you really could argue the entire imperial period. Uh, But definitely uh, after the crisis of the 3rd century, Rome was effectively a military dictatorship. Okay. uh, Because, like, the Senate had ceased being relevant a long, long time ago. Um, Usually you needed at least some political cooperation from the Senate to really rule effectively. At this point, you just rule through the military. Mm. So. Not good. Yeah. So... Like I said, middle middle of the fourth century, the three hundreds. One of the, quote, one of the tribes outside the Roman borders, were a tribe called the Goths.
0: Mm-hmm. It was a group of pale, lanky, dark-haired, black makeup. I knew you were. I I, I feel like you were baiting me for this joke. Yeah, that's it, why I didn't seems, say anything after that. Seems not funny now. Yeah, it was forced. Mm, well. You gotta let it happen organically, Cody.
1: No. Anyway, they were a Germanic tribe, uh, hypothesized today to have originated in the Baltic Sea region,
0: okay. uh, kind of a,
1: like northern Poland, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, somewhere in that area. And here I have a, have a map here. So you see, like, uh, the Goths probably originated up at, here, here in this area. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so like North Germany.
1: Yeah, and then they began to like migrate towards the belt the Black Sea. Okay. And the Romans, like the Roman border, is approximately right here along the Danube, in this area. Okay. So the Goths are kind of moving down into this area, closer to closer to the Roman area. Okay. So, uh, first references to Goths appear in Roman sources in the mid third century, uh, which is when they started migrating to. Uh, that northeastern coast of the Black Sea, um, they took advantage of Roman instability during the crisis of the third century by raiding Roman settlements. Uh, just real quick, crisis of the third century, period of instability in Rome, uh, in the empire. Kind of, you have like a lot of rebelling factions. I think you had we had something like over a fifty-year period. I think there were twenty-six or twenty-seven emperors.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: Yeah, so the the turnover was ridiculous.
0: Yeah. Jesus. So just
1: this big period of uh instability. Um but after the crisis of the 3rd century ended with the uh, after Diocletian came to came to power, um it led to a development of a trade relationship between the empire and the Goths. Uh, okay. So you know, it's like no reason to fight each other. Let's just, you know, after of course. Trade, you know, which is fine.
0: Sure, sure. Uh,
1: and Goths became increasingly Romanized and began serving in Roman armies. Okay. Um. And, and it, Rome had always utilized um foreign, like, troops along their borders. Like, it wasn't always, you know, the Roman military was not exclusively made up of Roman legions. Uh. hmm probably about ha- maybe the frac maybe the percentages are a bit different this time. I know like in the, the height of Roman power in the second century, um about only about half of the Roman military was made up of the traditional Roman legions. The rest the rest were made up of what were called auxilia or auxilii. Mm-hmm. Um I like dog Latin. celery yeah
0: probably uh, where but, that word comes from.
1: Uh, yeah. But they were essentially just um Local uh, troops drawn from like local tribes just, just kind of serve as you know, border patrol basically. Mm-hmm. Um, who kind of also serve as like customs agents to make sure you know, you bring goods to the empire, and get taxed for it. Um, and just you mm-hmm. know, just to maintain stability, uh, that way you didn't have to have a full like Roman legion in an area that was there, was there like it was largely peaceful, so mm-hmm. but you still have to have some like policing force, sure. So, um so, so that that that's nothing new. Where you'd see uh, these foreign, uh, foreign tribes or foreign people serve in Roman in the Roman military. Okay. So that that's this is nothing new. So
0: it's like mercenaries, almost. Kind of. But... Where they were like, "Well, we'll just take advantage of the fact that there are people here, and you guys are able-bodied. We'll give you some cash. Yeah, you can take some of the taxes. Yeah, but you have to be a police force. Yeah. Okay, makes sense. Yeah.
1: So. So that's just kind of the situation we're at uh, mid to late 4th century. So now enter our effer upper for the episode Valens.
0: Uh-oh.
1: Uh, he'd been born in 328 in modern day Vinkovici, Croatia.
0: Is that how you say it? Did you look it up? Vincovci?
1: Vinkovci, V-I-N-K-O-V-C-I.
0: Hold, H- hold on. How do you spell it?
1: V-I-N-K-O-V-C-I. vinkovci
0: Let's see. I'm I am looking it up for the benefit of our listeners. Vinkovsi. 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 Yeah, there you go. Vinkovsi.
1: Born in three twenty eight in modern day Vinkovsi, Croatia.
0: Thank you. Uh
1: Valens served in the Roman army, obtaining high ranking positions under Emperors Julian and Jovian in the early three hundred sixties.
0: That's confusing. The names are too close. Yeah. Stop that.
1: Julian was actually kind of interesting. By this point, like, the Empire was rapidly Christianizing, and he tried to, like, kind of claw it back. He's kind hmm. of... He's called Julian the Apostate because he wanted to take it back to, like, the traditional Roman religion. Hmm. Uh, but he, he failed. He was killed in a campaign against uh, uh, the Sassanid Iranians. Oh, whoops. Uh, he might get an episode at some point. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, yeah, but... Uh, and then Jovian was his successor. But after the death of Emperor Jovian in February 364, Valentinian, an army general and the older brother of Valens, was proclaimed emperor.
0: Valentinian being the lesser of the Valens, he he gets like the little tinian suffix on his name. Yeah,
1: uh, Valentinian appointed Valens as co-emperor the following month and gave him a mandate over the eastern half of the empire while Valentinian oversaw
0: oversaw.
1: oversaw the western half. So again, you have this dual monarchy type thing, dual emperorship. You take one half, I'll take the other half type of thing.
0: Hmm, okay.
1: Uh, While shoring up his rule over the east, uh, Valens... uh, while Valens was shoring up his ruler over the east, uh, Julian's cousin Procopius revolted in September 365. He's like, hey, I'm actually related to one of the previous emperors. I should be emperor. Not this random army dude and his brother.
0: And the army dudes were like, dude, we're well, we're in the army.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, after two defeats in May 366, Procopius was executed after his own troops turned on him. Oops. Yep. But Procopius had been supported by the Gothic king Ermenaric.
0: Ermenaric. Ermenaric. That's an interesting name. Okay.
1: Uh, and for the support, Valens invaded Gothic territory in spring three sixty seven. It's like you supported this revolt against me. I'm gonna come put you in your place. Whoops. Yeah. Uh, the resulting war ended in three sixty nine with a truce. Hmm. Uh, which was. Kind of good for Valens because he had other concerns because uh, Sassanid Iran had started to mess around in Armenia.
0: Whoopsies! Uh,
1: Armenia had always kind of served as like a buffer state between the Romans and the Sasanids.
0: Didn't we talk about this before?
1: I believe we did.
0: Okay. So. I just wanted to make sure. I was like, am I... Rem- I remember Sassanid. It's such a specific word. That's why I was remembering. But I just... Um, I was like... It, it's I- basically one of the
1: Iranian empires.
0: Yeah. Around okay. Around this time, so... All right.
1: Yeah, but Armenia had always been kind of a point of contention between the two. Um, so Valence has to focus his attention there.
0: Man, it's like... Oh, man. These episodes are like... They're not blurring together, but... The Sasanid Empire and Armenia, we talked about those separately in two separate episodes, but I'm pretty sure they had nothing to do with this time period. The one that we did on Armenia was like a more recent episode, right?
1: I don't think we've done... Have we done one on Armenia? I don't think we...
0: Maybe I just asked you about Armenia. That's about Armenian, the Armenian Genocide.
1: Possible. We
0: didn't do anything on Armenia yet?
1: No, but okay. we might do one on the Genocide at some point.
0: Okay. So. Well, it did... We, it does have local roots, Dayton peace Corps. I might have
1: mentioned it during the Woodrow Wilson episode, because there's some discussion about, at the Paris Peace Conference, about America kind of taking a mandate over Armenia.
0: Mm. Maybe. okay. I don't know. Anyways, sorry. Um,
1: yeah, but anyway, uh, so Valens had to focus his attention on the eastern border of the Empire and away from the Goths. Um,
0: that's, that's your first mistake, never turn your back on a Goth. No. Uh, not at all. Can't be trusted. Uh, Valentinian, uh, he would
1: die in November 375, and he was succeeded in the West by his sons Gratian and Valentinian II. Uh, Gratian's the older one, so Valentinian the second is still a child at this point, so. Okay. Um, so, and actually, let's see here. There's a bust of old Valens.
0: Oh, he looks just like all the rest of them. yeah it's really hard to tell like i i feel like you'd have to be really really into greek and roman sculpture in order to be able to tell these folks apart some of them are
1: pretty distinctive like like yeah constantine looks pretty distinctive maximian looks pretty caesar
0: you can normally tell caesar because his are like uh, the likenesses are more intense. Yeah,
1: for like Augustus, you mm-hmm. know, you can tell immediately. Marcus Aurelius, you can usually tell.
0: I'm sure that in this time period, it was probably easier to tell. But with so many statues, and whenever yeah. you see them, they're all kind of grouped together. It like it just makes me go face blind, and I'm like, uh huh. <laughs> they all look the same. They all have the same haircut.
1: <laughs> Honestly, like like the famous emperors, you can kind of tell, like Nero. Or, mm-hmm. like, some of the ones I mentioned, but, like, the lesser ones, they all kind of blend together. Yeah. It's like, these all look the same.
0: Yeah, pretty yeah, much. So,
1: uh, so in the 370s, the Goths began feeling pressure on their eastern borders by another group migrating westward, a future Roman antagonist and one you've probably heard of, the Huns.
0: No. Like Attila? Yes, Man, why do I get Attila the Hun and Genghis Khan confused?
1: Because they're both kind of plundering conquerors.
0: Yeah. And they okay. both
1: come from roughly the same area. Uh, the Huns, like, we don't really know their exact origin, mm-hmm. but it's hypothesized that they have, that they came out of Central Asia, kind of where, like, Kazakhstan, Mongolia, and Russia meet.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, in Central Asia. Region. So it's like they kind of come from the same area. Okay. Um
0: so, like, a really intense mountainous region.
1: Well, like the like the Central Asian, like, steppe regions.
0: Right. Okay. Um,
1: and they're also, both are also very good with horses. Mm. Uh, so, like, you just kind of see, like, the Huns just coming in from the east here and just, whoop, coming okay. right to where the Goths are right there. Yeah, okay. So, in you know, this area is the Roman Empire.
0: So, uh, you said they teamed up? Do what? Did, did you say that they teamed up?
1: No. Okay, sorry. The no, Huns no. and the Goths
0: did not team up? No, 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 no. Okay.
1: No. No, so, um, the Huns are actually, like, fighting the Goths. They're actually pushing them out of these lands that they've been occupying along the Black Sea.
0: Oh, okay.
1: So, in the summer of 376, a large group of Goths, numbering approximately 90,000, so much of, like, Jesus. the entire Gothic people, uh, they arrive on the north bank of the Danube, which serves as the Roman border, requesting asylum. Most of them were civilians.
0: Okay. Because the Huns
1: are, like, basically forcing them from their land.
0: They're running them down.
1: Yes. Okay. And the Goths are turning to the only people they can turn to in this situation, the Romans. They're cornered. Yeah. Okay. And they're like, well, we haven't always had the best relationship with the Romans, but they're not the ones actively killing us right now. Yeah. So.
0: So this was, you said it was basically the entire Goth people.
1: Kind of, yeah. I mean, I mean. It wasn't, like, all, like, every single one of them. I mean, of course, there's scattered about. And, of course. You know, some of them are already in the Empire, so. But the bulk of, like, their civilians. Okay. Uh, generous terms were given to the Goths, as, as I mentioned, the focus of Valens was on the conflict with Iran, with the Sasanids. And he didn't want to fight two enemies at once, on two the opposite sides of his of empire. Of course.
0: This is always the, the first mistake. Can't buy two enemies at once. It's like, oh boy.
1: Yeah, Hitler learned that lesson. Oh boy. Um, the Goths were permitted to move to the south bank of the Danube and to keep their weapons. The Romans would provide food while, negotia- while negotiations on where the Goths would be settled took place. Okay. However, the supply chain could not handle such a large influx of people in one place at one time. Of course. Also, corruption of Roman officials led to food shortages. They would just take the food they were that was earmarked for the Goths and then just turn around and sell it.
0: <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. History Some, really repeats itself.
1: Yep. Some desperate Goths sold their children into slavery for food.
0: That is the worst thing I've ever heard. I I mean, I feel, obviously, I feel terrible that people were in that situation, but on the other hand, it's like, either I die of starvation or I sell my kid into a life where they might never be hungry again. Yeah. And also, I get food. Yeah. And also,
1: it's like, if they have like four children, you might be able to feed the other three. Oh, God. It's like the cruel calculus of survival.
0: Yeah. I hate it.
1: Things reached a boiling point, uh, and the Goths defeated a smaller Roman force at Marcianople, after which the Goths began raiding the countryside. Uh Uh-oh. And I have a quote here from one of the primary sources, from a person named Marcellinus. Quote, For without distinction of age or sex, all places were ablaze with slaughter and great fires. Sucklings were torn from the very breasts of their mothers and slain, matrons and widows whose husbands had been killed before their eyes were carried off, Boys of tender or adult age were dragged away over the dead bodies of their parents. Finally, many aged men, crying that they had lived long enough after losing their possessions and their beautiful women, were led into exile with their arms pinioned behind their backs and weeping over the glowing ashes of their ancestral homes. End
0: quote. Jesus. Yeah. So, the Goths really got the short end of the stick here.
1: Like, traditional raping and pillaging. Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, goths already in roman territory flocked to the banner of their leader uh fritigern another like one of the other gothic leaders besides the gothic king uh Frithigern. um in 377 valens began moving what forces he could from the east to thrace which is the area just outside uh constantinople
0: yeah um, i actually know that yeah um Because of a romance novel I read when I was in high school, (laughs) the the, the male uh, hero in the story was named Kyrian of Thrace, (laughs) he was a general. It was a whole thing where, like, something really terrible happens to them while they're alive, and with their dying breaths, they beseech Artemis, and Artemis returns their soul to them so that they can work for her for all eternity, and they become immortal. So... Boy. I know about the Thracians.
1: <laughs> okay. Um, he also sent a request for assistance to his nephew in progression. out in the West. Yeah. Uh, help arrived, but at, uh, th- the year 377 ended kind of inconclusively, as the Goths were also reinforced by various mercenary groups. Uh, so... But Valens was finally able to extract himself from the east after negotiating a peace with the Sasanids in Iran uh, and arrived in Constantinople in May 378. Okay. Uh, Valens moved to a place called Adrianople with approximately fifteen to 20,000 troops and waited for more reinforcements from Gratian. And I'll pull up this map here again. Uh, Adrianople is kind of like over here. Okay. So it's just not too far from Constantinople. Okay. It's like just kind of north-northwest of it.
0: What does Nopal mean? Is that like city?
1: Uh, Yeah, I, I think so. I, I'm not sure. Okay. Um, yeah, it stands the reason it is because there's multiple places with that suffix on it. But anyway. Um, however, Gratian uh, was tied up with conflicts against other Germanic tribes along the Rhine River and was and uh, was unable to send troops immediately. There's um, your
0: first mistake.
1: Do what
0: I said. There's your first mistake.
1: Yep. Well, I mean, I mean, he had to had to fight those troops. He couldn't just abandon the, his own area just to go help his uncle out. So, um, and, and Gratian, he's he's doing well, but it's just like there's just kind of like a game of whack-a-mole. Where, all right, you defeat one tribe, another one pops up. I defeat them, another one pops up. So. <laughs> kind of hard for him to pull himself away from that. Whoops. Um, So, on August 6th, 378, Valens received word that 10,000 Goths were headed to Adrianople.
0: Oh, whoops.
1: And Valens, who was looking for a victory of his own to match those of Gratian in the West, was eager for a confrontation.
0: He's just bloodthirsty all the time.
1: Well, again, he, he can't let his kid nephew show him up. (laughs) <laughs> yeah.
0: Pride.
1: Once again, precious little snowflakes. I know. Yep. So That definitely seems to be a recurring theme here in this uh, this podcast. Um, an <laughs> envoy from Gratian requested that Valens wait for reinforcement, which was also the judgment of his generals. They said, you know what? Let's just wait for reinforcement. That way we have an overwhelmingly superior force. We can crush them in one blow.
0: Okay, yeah.
1: What do you think Valens decides to do?
0: Not do that.
1: Exactly. This (laughs) is where he F's up. Valens decides not to wait and attacks immediately. Oh my
0: god. Impatient.
1: Yeah. Uh, Valens assumed that he outnumbered the Goths and would easily best them, but his intelligence sources failed to take into account the Gothic cavalry, which had left the main force to forage. (laughs) On August 9th, three (laughs) seventy eight. Valens marched his army from Adrianople towards the Gothic camp to the north, over eight miles away.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: This left his army tired and depleted by the time he met the Gothic force.
0: Yeah, because they were carrying a bunch of crap. Yeah, so they got to carry,
1: like, all their stuff eight miles, you know, and...
0: They're like, we're tired and hungry. We haven't had anything to eat today. Yeah. And they're like, okay, now you got to fight. And they're like, no. It
1: gets better. Fritigern employed numerous delaying tactics to stall the Romans, including setting fire to fields to make the Romans march through thick smoke. Oh my gosh. Classic. Yeah, as well as deploying emissaries to engage in false negotiations.
0: Wow. Yeah, so... False negotiations. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But that's working smarter, not harder.
1: It is. (laughs) Well, he also needs to buy time for his cavalry to come back. So, uh, the Roman army... They engage in battle without being ordered to do so, like in this. You see this happen from time to time in ancient sources, mm-hmm. or in ancient battles. Like one section of the army is either like just raring to go, or it's like they mishear an order and they just take <laughs> off.
0: This it's so common.
1: And, and the rest of the army, it's like you like if you don't follow them into battle, that group is going to get slaughtered, right? So you kind of you're like you kind of have to follow them. So uh, this so the rest of the army follows in, and this led to a lack of cohesion along the Roman line.
0: Oh boy! Um, uh,
1: the initial attack, the initial assault was pushed back, causing further disarray. While the Romans regrouped and tried to reform their line, the Gothic cavalry appeared and surrounded the Romans. I'm thinking like uh, I'm, I'm getting like kind of like hel- like a. Helm's deep vibes here oh boy because let's it's like you know you're fighting you're fighting them and then on the third day look to the east and then on the horizon you see your gothic cavalry come over the horizon led by Gandalf <laughs> uh,
0: I don't think it would be that dramatic but it's probably pretty dramatic Frodo
1: garden but... King stands alone
0: but there's no uh, yeah. wizard yeah it yeah,
1: yeah, might have been a wizard
0: I don't think so. Somehow I don't think so. uh,
1: I don't know why this picture didn't really come over exactly well but you see like the blue and the red bits the blue bits are the Romans, the red bits are the Goths. Uh huh. And you see like the Romans kind of come up here but like you see the cavalry come around and flank the Romans Mm, and and then the rest of it just turns into a rout. Wow. And in the ensuing confusion Valens was killed.
0: No. Yeah. Well, thats it's honestly kind of surprising because there are so many of these stories where they're like, I gave the order, and then they don't actually get killed yeah. or hurt or anything like yeah. that. So, yeah. Uh,
1: an apocryphal story has Valens hiding in a cottage and the Goths burning it down. Uh, <laughs> okay. But the circumstances of his death are actually unknown. His body was never found.
0: Oh, so maybe he didn't die. Maybe he's just like, I'm a Goth. He just looked 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 around like the blood, Roman emperor gray. would have been
1: wearing pretty valuable armor and weapons and stuff. Yeah, but he was w- probably stripped naked and thrown in a ditch.
0: I was going to say if he was smart, he would have been like, "Oh, I see how this is going." Taken all that crap off, put it on a dead body, and then taken their clothes and he ran. Did, he wouldn't have had time to do that. You never know. Mm. Ba- battle is a messy, messy thing. No, he died. Mm. Um
1: Approximately, along with approximately two-thirds of the Roman force were killed.
0: Wow. Yeah. He really did F up. That's a lot of Romans. Uh,
1: yeah, well, you know, it's getting it worse. Uh-oh. The Goths initially tried to besiege the city of Adrianople itself, but they were repelled and returned to raiding the countryside, which now had little or no defense. They oh. just defeated the only army in the area.
0: Oh, my god! So they
1: kind of have just free reign to just plunder.
0: Oh, boy. Yeah.
1: Uh, after some internal debate... An army general Theodosius was proclaimed emperor in January 379. So several months pass before
0: so they people, declare an emperor. They're just wilding out out here, just plundering, doing whatever, I, killing I can people. Just, I can
1: just see, like, the those internal debates between the Romans are like, like kind of like hot potatoes. Like I don't want to do it. No, you do it. I don't want to do it.
0: <laughs> I'm gonna die. Whoever gets appointed is gonna die. Probably. Yeah. Exactly. I'm, I don't want to do it.
1: Yeah. I no. 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 I'm. 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 I'm too old. I'm too. I'm. I'm not feeling too good. <laughs> I. I got. I got the gout. I can't do it. Um, gout. I got. Uh, I. I got a doctor's appointment tomorrow. I. I can't do it.
0: <laughs> doctor's appointment. Yeah. You mean a. a oracle appointment or yeah, some a, yeah, crap. Something. <laughs>
1: Um, after further defeats and stalemates, peace finally came in October 382. So, a full like four years after... Jeez. Adrianople. Uh th- The Goths were given land to settle on within the empire, were permitted to remain as a cohesive group and run their own affairs, hmm. and would be called upon to serve in the Roman armies but could remain in their own units.
0: Interesting, okay.
1: Uh, The practice up to that time had been to break up a tribe and send them to different parts of the Empire to reduce the chance of a revolt. Wow. Because if you just kind of like break up a tribe and send them to all different parts of the Empire, it's hard for them to coordinate.
0: Sure, yeah. They don't have text messaging. Yeah,
1: but now the Goths are like, they're just kept essentially as a cohesive unit in the Empire. And even, even the military, just like these auxiliary units that can serve, but they're not like fully integrated in the Roman military. So it's like they're basically allowed to be a country within a lar- the larger empire. Right. Um, the, comp- the compromised Roman position forced them to make these concessions. Um, and at the time, it was the Roman view that the Goths would Romanize in time. That, <laughs> you know, oh, they're being exposed to our civilization. They will <laughs> become... More Roman than goth, given enough time.
0: Of course. Uh, I have an extended
1: quote from another primary source from Themistius. Quote, For just suppose that this destruction was an easy matter, and that we possessed the means to accomplish it without suffering any consequences. Although from past experience, this was neither a foregone nor likely conclusion. Nevertheless, just suppose, as I said, that this solution lay within our power. Was it then better to fill Thrace with corpses or with farmers? "...to make it full of tombs or living men, to progress through a wilderness or a cultivated land, to count up the number of the slaughtered or those who till the soil, to colonize it with Phrygians and Bithynians perhaps, or to live in harmony with those we have subdued. All that ingenuity of ours has proves useless, only your Theodosius's, advice and your judgment provided an invincible resistance, and the victory you won through these inner resources of yours was finer than it would have been had you prevailed by arms." For you have not destroyed those who wronged us, but appropriated them. You did not punish them by seizing their land, but have acquired more farmers for us. You did not slaughter them like wild beasts, but charmed away their savagery, just as if someone, after trapping a lion or a leopard in nets, were not to kill it, but to accustom it to being a beast of burden. These fire breathers, harder on the Romans than Hannibal was, which, no, um, uh-huh. have now come over to our side tame and submissive, they entrust their persons and their arms to us, whether the emperor wants to employ them as farmers or as soldiers. End quote.
0: What the heck?
1: Yeah, it's a <laughs> very, very condescending view of um, uh, of, of, of the Goths. Um, also, I love reading like primarily like, Roman quote sources because it, it is just, it's always... Very, like, flourished and embellished and ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Um, it
0: was pretty intense.
1: There's one I'm thinking of right now just popped in my head. Let me just read this to you. Okay. it's about the death of the Emperor Galerius. And now when Galerius was in the 18th year of his reign, God struck him with an incurable disease. A malignant ulcer formed in the secret parts and spread by degree. Oh, the physicians God. attempted to eradicate it, but the sore, having after having been skimmed over, broke again. A vein burst and the blood flowed in such quantity as to endanger his life. The physicians had to undertake their operations anew, and at length they cauterized the wound. He grew emaciated, pallid and feeble, and the bleeding then stanched. The ulcer began to be insensible to the remedy as applied, and gangrene seized all the neighboring parts. It diffused itself, the wider and more corrupted flesh was cut away, and everything employed as the means of cure served but to aggravate the disease. The masters of the healing art withdrew. The famous... Physicians were brought in from all quarters, but no human means had any success, and the distemper augmented. Already approaching to its deadly crisis, it occupied the lower regions of his body. His uh, bowels came out, and his whole seat putrefied. The luckless physicians, although without hope of overcoming the malady, ceased not to apply fermentation's and administer remedies the humours having been repelled the distemper attacked his intestines and worms were generated in his body
0: oh my god the stench
1: was so foul as to pervade not only the palace but even the whole city and no wonder for by that, that time the passages from waste bladder and bowels having been devoured by the worms, became indiscriminate, and his body, with intolerable anguish, was dissolved into one mass of corruption. Jesus. <laughs> That's a quote about that guy dying.
0: <laughs> what the hell?
1: <laughs> yeah, so Roman quotes are always great.
0: Basically, they... that dude had bowel cancer, and but instead we got an entire three-paragraph yeah. essay about how he got worms in him.
1: Well, he was also like... Per, uh, did one of, like, the last, like, great per, uh, Christian persecutions. Ah.
0: Uh, uh,
1: and it was written by a Christian monk, probably, so. Oh. Yeah. Um, so, anyway. He's
0: like, I want to show, I want to describe in yes. great laborious detail of how his his butt fell out. He
1: dissolved into one mass of corruption. <laughs> it's just like, okay. Wow. But, anyway, back to the story at hand. Uh, anyway, that... Quote I said about, you know, like, or the idea that the Goths would Romanize, time would prove that wrong. Because the Goths as a people would outlast the Western Empire. Yeah. Uh, the Goths were among the first of the Federati, uh, tribes that the Empire would permit to settle within its borders in exchange for military assistance. Uh. So the Goths were just the first... Or one of the first that like that this would happen to like it, they would use that same model later on.
0: Gotta love capitalism.
1: It flesh it, for cash. Yeah, or troops. Um, That's what I'm
0: saying. They're they're yeah. selling flesh.
1: Um, but this had the side effect of kind of pulling authority away from the central government, like away from the emperor, and more towards like local leaders. Yeah, because because these peoples are being retained wholesale. You know, so they're going to look more to their own leaders as opposed to Roman leaders or the emperor. Sure, the yeah.
0: It's like uh, putting more stock in your local government yeah. officials than it would be to yeah. put it in the president.
1: Which erodes the authority of the central central government. Yes. Uh, the defeat and death of Valens also led to a change in the perception of Roman military might. Before Adrianople the Roman military was seen as a juggernaut that could only be nipped at, not defeated outright in a pitched battle. Sure, yeah. The defeat and death of a Roman emperor in Roman territory by an invading force and consequently being brought to to the negotiating table and granting concessions showed all of the empire's neighbors that Rome was kind of ripe for the picking. Whoops. Yeah, because, like, of course, emperors had died in battle before. Yeah. um, But... It had always been either against other Romans, it had been against, let's say, the Iranians, Parthians, or Sunnids, or whoever was occupying Iran at the time.
0: Like a huge army. Yeah. A formidable force. And
1: also, like, when the Romans were the ones invading. Okay. So, or they might die of, like, disease, like, on campaign or whatever. Sure. This is, like, the first time a, quote-unquote, barbarian force, you know one of these tribes had come into the Roman territory and killed the emperor in battle.
0: Okay. Yeah, so this is like, not only did you kill a Roman emperor, you did it on our own soil. Yeah. And you, you, Where you're supposed to be sovereign. Yeah. Okay, got it.
1: Uh, over the next century, in the beginning of an era known as the Migration Period, a near-continuous deluge of invading tribes would put more and more pressure on the empire Contributing to the collapse of the West in 476.
0: Dang! So yeah. it's like 140 years later.
1: Uh, well, this so this was like a 378. So oh, okay, it, it's so it's like just about 100 years. Yeah, later. Just, just under 100 years later, the West is gone. The Western Dang. Empire is gone. Of course, the East persists for another millennium. But
0: way um, to go, Valens. Yeah. So, you like, big yeah, jerk. Like,
1: if if he had just waited for Gratian's reinforcements, if he had defeated the Goths, it's like. You, you still could have had that migration period, um, but it, it possibly would have been lesser. The previous policy of kind of breaking up these tribes and uh, scattering them to parts of the empire, you don't have a lot of the destabilization from inside that the Romans would have later on. Um... All sorts of things. They still would have had to face you know, the Huns. The Huns were still coming regardless.
0: Yeah. I mean, big deal.
1: Yeah, but Rome may... Like, it may have been able to handle the Huns more effectively if it hadn't had to deal with all these invading tribes over the previous 50 years. Yeah. Um, so, like, the, the, you could... I mean, there's so much you can speculate on. Um, if this defeated Adrianople it never happened if i mean if the Romans crushed the goths the goths yeah, they're probably not a military force they have to contend with again
0: what did you say the name the name of the um tribes were that they used that they permitted to sell on their land federati so the federati also probably would not have interacted as much with the Romans had it not been for this
1: yeah they wouldn't they wouldn't really have stayed in their
0: They wouldn't have mixed, yeah, they they wouldn't have um, incorporated into Rome, even though they were separate, they wouldn't have shared, you know, ideas and things like that, so. Yeah, and
1: and, and you see, like, much, and you see this more in the 5th century, um, you see a lot of these uh, Federati tribes produce uh, some of the best generals uh, that the Roman military had. But that also kind of erodes the authority further, because a lot of times they rule through puppet emperors. Uh, Because they can't be emperors themselves, like Stilicho uh, was from one of those tribes. Um, I don't remember which one offhand, but he was from one of those Germanic tribes. And he kind of pulled the strings of several puppet emperors, which, of course, whenever you have a puppet emperor... That's going to erode the authority of the office, of course. Because yeah. it's like, okay, well, they're not really the one in charge. Why do I have to listen to them?
0: Yeah, and it's exactly. hard to it's
1: hard to claw that authority back.
0: Yeah, because so, yeah, yeah, because then why would people ever think that there's not a puppet emperor? Exactly. So yeah.
1: So yeah. So that's that's Valens.
0: Way uh, to go, Valens! Yeah, you impatient, prideful mofo.
1: Yep. Uh, sources I used for this were uh, Thomas Burns. Barbarian, uh, Barbarians Within the Gates of Rome, A Study of Roman Military Policy and the Barbarians, circa 375 to four twenty five, from 1994. Peter Heathers, The Fall of the Roman Empire, A New History of Rome and the Barbarians from 2007. Uh, A.D. Lees, From Rome to Byzantium, The Transformation of Ancient Rome from 2013. Noel Linsky's Failure of Empire, Valens and the Roman State in the 4th Century A.D. from 2003. Uh, R.J. Pennell's The Private Orations of, of Themistus 2000s where so i got that long quote from the missus from mm-hmm. uh and then uh from marcelinus uh his book 31 of res justice Fres, Jeste, which was translated by cd young from 1911 um so uh, and just real quick just side note um i did want to give a few shout outs to some of the other podcasts that uh have given me some advice on you know how to improve this show or how to, you know, reach a wider audience, uh, so I just wanted to give thanks to all the, all the, um, podcast hosts that I reached out to and got a, got some advice from, um, David at History of England, Dominic from History of Egypt, uh, Free and Bri from Pontifax, uh, Grammy Alley from Rex Factor, uh, Caroline from Wonders of the World, um, joe from lions that led by donkeys um i'm trying to, i know there's a few i'm missing here um uh, but thank you very much you did not have to take any amount of time to give the advice to oh uh, to, to give the advice to a look to lowly podcasters such as ourselves <laughs> uh, who have no experience in this uh so i just wanted to thank you guys very much also uh two more i just thought about uh, sebastian from our fake history and greg from history that doesn't suck so if you're not familiar with any of those podcasts not that they need help from us (laughs) they certainly do not um but if you for somehow have not come across those podcasts and you're listening to ours uh go listen to those ones uh far better than ours. Um, so <laughs> worth your time, uh, worth my time. I mean, I listen to all of them. So, uh, just thank you very, very much for, uh, the advice and, uh, yeah. So,
0: yes, thank you very, very much. Um, Cody did all of the legwork on that. And while I don't have any other, um, podcast that I want to give a shout out to I do want to say um that we are celebrating a little bit because uh, as of today we have hit 500 downloads for our podcast which is a milestone so um and I'm sure that that is in part uh to Cody's dedication to reach out to all of the other history podcasts yeah um it really does seem like everybody wants everybody else to succeed so um really thankful that um, there's space for everybody here in the history podcast world. So, and me myself not being a history uh, nut, I don't listen to all of the podcasts that Cody does.
1: Yeah. I I, I have a problem. Yeah. He does. I, I a listen problem. to like, I think I'm actively subscribed right now to like 30, 30 or 35. And I'd say, all but three or four history podcasts. So,
0: Well, what are we going to be talking about on episode 21, Cody?
1: Uh, that's a good question. I totally forgot what 21 is about. What is 21 about? Here. I literally just did the research for it.
0: Hold on. Uh, pause for just a second and I can tell you.
1: Oh, know. I remember now. Okay. So, episode 21. Oh, we are... You know how um, the Cromwell episode we uh, talked about how England likes to screw with Ireland.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: what's a we're gonna talk about another place that that the English love to screw with? Do you want to take a guess?
0: Uh, Scotland.
1: Bingo. <laughs> really? Right on. Wow. The English just they just they they Can't just love not. screwing with people so. Shh. And I think it's our our second Scottish history episode. Cause I think mm-hmm. we talked about uh, the Darien scheme and William Patterson. And yep, yep. The merger into the United Kingdom. But this is going to be uh, a bit before that. So we're talking about something that led to... Well, well, I'll put it this way. If this person did not make the decision they did, we would not be able to say the phrase Academy Award winner Mel Gibson.
0: What? That doesn't make any sense.
1: It'll make sense.
0: There'd be no Australian penal colony. No,
1: not. not I enough. don't
0: understand. You you will understand. Okay.
1: Next time. So just just yeah, you know, if that gives you, just think about what he's won an Academy Award for.
0: Oh, Scottish okay. history. William Wallace. All right. There, ahead.
1: there we go. I, you, you I,
0: it. I was i was thinking in a in a literal sense like and not in a figurative <laughs> sense as to what he I, I was like how does mel gibson being australian have anything to do with, with scotland but okay i understand now correct okay all right
1: so all right yep
0: Please don't forget to check out our sister projects, or mostly my sister projects: uh, the YouTube show, "The Drunken Pond," which is produced by myself and hosted by our co-producer Steve on this podcast, um, where we drink beer and play board games. It's a great time. Uh, "Attack of the Final Girls," which is a horror review podcast, uh, which is co-hosted by myself and my lovely pod wife Juliet. Uh, three Minute Movies, which is a YouTube channel where I attempt to summarize and spoil movies in three minutes.
1: Please rate, review, and subscribe to our show so we can stay on the charts. Check us out on Twitter and Instagram at We F Up. I'm Teresa, and I'm Cody,
0: and this is We F Up. Up.